Hello, welcome to the Wet Cement Podcast. We're so happy you can join us here today. I'm your host, Luke Mueller, and this is Tyler. <laughs> uh, we're uh, opening up this episode. Uh, the topic is aesthetics, and I, I know in today's world that, that can mean a lot of different things, but specifically talking about the, the philosophy of aesthetics and two questions mainly, which is what is beauty and what is art? This is something that I at least have a little bit of background with because I have art majors. Uh, I majored in animation and studio art in college, and it's something that I've always been interested in. And I don't know exactly what Luke's familiarity is with any part of this topic, but he's going to learn some today. And... I was a graphic design major, and then I turned into a minor because I didn't really like it. So, not a ton of familiarity with this. So That's, that's what I figured, but... Yeah, it's going to be good to learn. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys can learn along with us, too. Uh, just to sort of begin and give you all a general idea of what the topic is, in a little bit more specificity, uh, I put together a, a brief sort of overview history of art and aesthetics and sort of how it's developed. You know, aesthetics is something that's always been around. It's been debated for many, many years, although it like dated back to Plato and Aristotle, they have writings and things that are talking about talk topics like this, about like what is beauty and what is worthy of beauty and things like that. It's something that is has been in the consciousness of deep thinkers for a very long time. But it's something that is especially important to discuss today due to the way in which art has developed over the last roughly 200, 200 to 250 years, mainly with two main things that changed the art world forever within the last 200 years, which is the creation of the paint tube and the invention of the camera. Those are the two things that you don't necessarily think about how those could affect art, but... A quick question, what is a paint tube? Well, a paint tube meaning like a tube that like what what you would see that holds paint like oh it's today. like a tube or it's like a paint container yes okay okay I, yeah before the invention <laughs> of the paint tube that there there was no real way to preserve paints for a long time okay. and so artists and artisans could only really paint or do things like that if they made the paint themselves mm -hmm. and they were you going to use it almost immediately there wasn't really a way to preserve it for the long term. And so once that was created, that gave everyone access who had the money to be able to do things like paint. It became more than just a profession that only select few people were able to do. It was something that anybody who had the money to have canvas and have paint and had the desire to do so, they could become an artist, be like a casual artist, somebody who isn't just a professional. Around when did that happen, the paint tube? That was roughly like early 19th century, so like 1800s, early 1800s. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was the first major change to that adds to this debate. And the second one is the invention of the camera, which I think is a little bit easier to, to understand in that up until that point, artists were needed to be able to paint scenes from stories and from real world events to depict them. And that... Like, they were needed as necessary to, like, make sure that that history was passed down from generation to generation. And once the camera was invented, 
then they were like, wait, we, you can perfectly recreate this battle because you were there and you took a photo. Like, what's the purpose of me being a painter and painting it anymore? Like, I'm not needed. <laughs> and so that change is what caused the slow burn that ultimately led to many of the art movements that we recognize as originating in the 20th century. Things like Impressionism, Surrealism, Abstract Expressionism, Dada, Suprematism, Minimalism, you get the idea. Just all these different movements, these are things that boomed within the 19th and 20th centuries because of the invention of the camera. All of a sudden, artists if you wanted to be an artist, since you didn't have to depict real life anymore, you had to branch out into all these other ways, all these other reasons to be an artist. And that's when the debate really, really took, leapt forward in terms of trying to figure out what is beauty, what is art, what is their purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that brings us to today. And so I'm just going to ask you, Luke, yeah, uh, s some ahead. questions. I know just sort all of, the answers. <laughs> just to sort of start a baseline of what you think about these things. Because obviously I have my own thoughts. But you're, you're sort of acting as the audience right now in terms of next to no information about it. And so right. I want to see what your baseline is. Sure. So first off, what do you think about the world and art? Well, when you think about the world and art, what are some things that you personally find to be beautiful? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I th I think that a lot of a lot of different people that I know um typically think that things that represent the world are beautiful. Um so like let's say I've had a lot of conversations with people that will say only art that represents humans or like landscapes or anything like that is beautiful in my personal opinion art is just beautiful because it is nice looking so if i see a painting that's like a landscape i think that's you know it's beautiful if i see a, a painting that's a series of lines and i think it looks really nice i think it's beautiful too so there's lots of different things in the world that are beautiful i don't think it has to necessarily align with reality i think that's the major misconception that people have i don't know where that comes from It'd be mm -hmm. an interesting thought to you know think about where that comes from is it coming from like you know like a more i guess conservative uh worldview where you think like only these things that we have had in the past can be beautiful nothing new can be beautiful mm -hmm. i don't know if that because my family typically does believe that and they're a more conservative family so that could be a possibility but that might yeah. just be coincidence so we'll talk about that a little bit more later too and how the general public today probably wouldn't really say that they are able to critique art or really understand art and a lot of that stems back to the same two reasons i pointed out earlier the paint tube and the invention of the camera but we can get into that later uh that's i feel like a pretty good description of what probably most people would says like what is beauty and mm -hmm. things like that but are there universal rules or standards that make something beautiful uh, is there a set yeah. of rules that you could put out there that you could classify 
this is beautiful, this is not. See, I want to say that that is the correct answer. I want to say that there is a set of rules that you can you can put out. Maybe maybe that rule is that it can't be something that is evil. Maybe like, you know, um, something that is beautiful cannot be evil or something that is evil cannot be beautiful. But at the same time, there are so many things in this world that are in a sense evil or do evil things that are still beautiful. One of the things that I was thinking about um, not too long ago was, you know, in the in the movie Interstellar, which I know we talked about last week because it's been in my brain so much. Um, there's, you know, this colossal tidal wave. And like, you know, it could, you know, crush and kill everyone. And that's really not what I'm here to talk about. What I'm here to talk about is it would, you know, let's say someone is down in on our planet and they're going to be engulfed in that. And, you know, certain death is going to approach them. But there's a certain kind of beauty in that. Not in their death. I want to make that clear. (laughs) But in the, you know, the colossal force of that wave. And so... I don't really think there is any objective standard that you can judge beauty by. I think beauty can be anything. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, as a lot of people say. Um, yeah, right. I don't think there's any objective. Like, it has to be this way. It has to be a certain color. It has to be a certain subject matter. I don't really think it has to be in any certain way to be beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the wave in interstellar and how it's not necessarily beautiful in the act of it almost killing uh, Mm -hmm. the main characters that are on that planet but the force of it Mm -hmm. you mentioned you think of as beautiful in that sense that's specifically pointing towards like what's what's known as the romanticism movement which is called romantic in the sense that it's romanticizing the power of nature yeah that's for Uh, sure so that's definitely one way that people have viewed it at a point in time. And that's, I mean, people don't typically create romantic styles of art anymore, but that is a movement that you can create within, and people have thought about beauty in that way. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you, you touched on some some good things there of that maybe you could classify thing, five things based upon good and evil. That is a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I personally try to or what what I have boiled this down to this debate is that there are some basic rules that when or in principles that when you put them together are more often than not going to create something that is more beautiful than something else if you're not following these principles and rules then it's probably not going to be as beautiful as if you are following them And those are the basic rules of composition and elements of art and the principles of design. So composition would be like the rule of thirds. That's a photography thing, but also works if you're making any sort of art. Symmetry, the golden triangle, Fibonacci spiral, using things like vanishing points and leading lines to help direct the eye. The elements of art like color, shape, line, texture, form, value, and space. And the principles of design like balance, unity, variety, emphasis, movement, patterns, and proportion. Mm -hmm. And any sort of visual thing that you could make is going to incorporate some of these things. But the more that you can use these things intentionally and 
use them in ways that nature has made an example of, that's when something is going to come together as more beautiful, where it's a, rep it's a new representation of something that is already in the world, because all of these principles are taken from the world. So you're creating something new and trying to essentially emulate nature and mm -hmm. these things that God has placed in our world. What's an example for you of something that's not beautiful then, in the art world specifically? There's, <laughs> yeah, you go ahead. I mean, th there's definitely art out there that I wouldn't call as beautiful, and it's still art, because that's a whole different question of, yeah. can something be art that is not beautiful? Yeah. Or does something have to be beautiful to be art? I, I don't think something has to be beautiful to be art, but there's always elements of beauty to something. So there's one movement in particular, it's called the Dada movement. Mm -hmm. And it's, people make fun of it, rightly so, because it is a movement that is essentially making fun of the preconceived notions of what can and can't be art. What's an example of the Dada movement? Because I've heard of it before, but... One of the most famous examples is the artist, his name is Mar Marcel Duchamp, and he has a piece, it's called Fountain, and basically, if you haven't seen it before, it's a, a a white urinal that he took and he signed as R. Mutt. He put it under a fake name because people, they, they wouldn't have accepted it to this art exhibition had they known it was him because they knew he was just a troublemaker. And so, yeah, he wrote R. Mutt on there and it's a white urinal. And it, just, it caused quite the debate of like, what is this? He calls it a, a ready-made, which means it was an already made object. Mm -hmm. And so he was just repurposing it and displaying it as art and as doing that, made it art. I wonder how much that thing runs for right now. Well, <laughs> that, that's what's interesting about ready-mades is that that piece specifically has gotten destroyed and stolen and vandalized quite often, but you can always just get a new urinal that's made in the exact same way, write Armut on there, and it's the exact same piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think a lot of, I guess, the beauty behind art for me is the, the meaning behind it. Um, so what's that movement called where there's a lot of like odd shapes and distorted figures? Um, uh, surrealism. Surrealism, that's the one. I remember really, really enjoying that just because like, the one, oh, I can't remember his name, but it's like all the clocks that are just have been melted mm -hmm. and like fall That's over. That's uh, Salvador Dali. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Not because it was necessarily beautiful, but just because of the things it represented. Or mm -hmm. uh, there's other things like if we even go back to the, like the Renaissance or whatever, um, we have those artists that are painting, you know, the, the betrayal of Jesus or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's more... Yes, those paintings do look really nice, but it's more than that. It's what they represent, and that's the beautiful thing, too. So if someone draws lines on a canvas or that guy that walks across his canvas and, you know, spills paint all over it, um, even though the line between what he thinks he represents or if he's just making it up is kind of blurry, um, it's still beautiful because there's some sort of thought or lack of thought going into it. I don't know. It's it's more for me the thing that's behind it um, than the solid rules that are put into it.
So okay. yeah. it's less the physical object than the 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 melding of the physical and I guess emotional. Maybe emotional isn't the right word, but putting those together. So yeah. Yeah. Do Do you feel like if you went to an art gallery, would you find it hard to critique art or to really have an opinion about a piece when you see it? No, uh, because I either like it or I don't. Okay. Um, there's there's some things that I don't I don't know about. So if I'm looking at a piece, I wouldn't be able to identify certain things about it. Like I wouldn't be able to say I don't like this because of the lack of symmetry. Maybe I could figure that out. But mm -hmm. you know, there's other rules. Um, so I couldn't critique it based on that, but just based on, I feel like it's just kind of just you know a canvas that's been thrown together to look good. And there's nothing behind that. I'd be like, hmm, there's nothing really to that. I don't know. Um, one of the, a, a big example is like, I don't think the Mona Lisa is especially a good painting. I think it's kind of boring looking and it's a <laughs> portrait. So there's nothing really behind it. There's, yeah. no, there's no symbolism like the crucifixion of Jesus. There's nothing. It's just kind of a lady who wanted her portrait done. The Mona Lisa is an interesting case because it's mostly been elevated through the way that people have described the experience of going and seeing it. Because yes, like you said, by itself, it is not a particularly amazing or interesting painting. It is just a portrait of a lady. And it's very small if you go and see it in person. I, I've seen it at the, at the Louvre from a distance. I didn't get up close because there were so many people. Yeah. But yeah, it's very small. It's not very colorful. It's pretty muted. And partially that's just because it's old and things like that. Right. But it, it isn't, it's, it's just kind of been elevated by society. And that, that is sometimes how art is. Mm -hmm. If I were to go into a museum and I saw Picasso on one side and Mona Lisa on the other, I would look at the Picasso one if I didn't know what Mona Lisa was. Because mm -hmm. like, it's just, I don't know. Sometimes the significance can make it more beautiful in a sense. That's true. Yeah. But it's interesting that you personally don't find it terribly difficult to critique art because that is something just as an art student that I come across quite often of people that are like I don't I don't want to go to an art museum because I don't know what to say I don't know how to judge art I, that that's hard for people to do mm -hmm. nowadays I feel like that might be because I have a more subjective view of art where if I think that I don't like that painting then I don't like that painting. If I had an objective view of art, like there are certain rules that, you know, should be followed. I could point out they like, you know, those rules don't follow. Um, but since I'm not an art major, I couldn't necessarily point out those rules because mm -hmm. I wouldn't know them. That's in my opinion, exactly how people should be looking at art. The more art that you can look at and ingest and just use your own intuition of whether or not you like it, that'll lead you down roads of researching more into the things that you like because you enjoy them. And by doing so, you'll learn more of the history behind them, which will lead you to find more art. And you'll start to build your own database of knowledge of how to critique those things, find what you do enjoy, and just be a good critic of, of what you of what you like. That, that That's as simple as it as it should be for mm -hmm going and looking at art. And that, like I mentioned earlier, goes back to the invention of the camera and the paint tube, where before those things, 
artists had to create in order to document historical events. Mm -hmm. And so when people went and saw art at the Sistine Chapel or other places that it had been recorded, they for the most part knew instantly exactly what they were representing because those stories had been passed down from mouth to mouth, from generation to generation for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, like, well, not that long, but (laughs) (laughs) thousands of years at least. Tens of thousands. It wasn't something that people had to engage with in the same way as they do now because it was very instant. A sculpture, oh, that's a sculpture of Mary. I know who Mary is. I've been told about that my whole life. Oh, that's a portrait of Jesus. I I know exactly what that's like. They didn't have to think about it in this way. So now that there are all of these different movements, people are confused in that way. But it's as simple as just whether you like it or not, look more into the things that you like, try to learn some of those basic elements that I talked about earlier, and some of those things you'll probably know intuitively of just what you find beautiful. (laughs) But you just figure out a little bit more behind that of why is it beautiful? Oh, maybe it's because, yeah, of the symmetry. Maybe it's because of the way that the lines lead my eye from different points of the the picture all around. Mm -hmm. It's as, as simple as that. Yeah. What's your favorite movement of art? (laughs) <laughs> well, my my style is fairly modern in that mm-hmm. it's it's fairly stripped away of anything that is representational. Yeah. Not to say that I don't like portraits and things like that too. I just haven't made many of those. I, I think I may try some portraiture this year or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's, I focus mostly on the elements of art, of color, shape, line, texture, form, those things, and putting them together in a way that I personally find beautiful. Mm-hmm. And at least what has been the case through up until now is that generally when I find something to be beautiful, other people have found it to be beautiful as well. So I'm creating art for the purpose of engagement so that when people see it, they're like, oh, that's beautiful. Even if they don't, yeah, aren't able to verbalize those things of like, oh, that's beautiful because of XX, ABC, mm-hmm. they're able to just go, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And that might make them more interested in the other things that I've created and might lead them down that path of being able to just learn more about art in general. Some of the most beautiful art I've ever seen, I think, is uh, Picasso. Yeah. Because um, I don't know a bunch about his his life or anything, but there's a couple things that I do know. The first one is that, um, you know, he was an excellent sketch artist. Like, yes, he had I mean, he had no, absolutely no problem in drawing realistically or painting realistically. But yet he made a choice. He's like, I'm not going to do that because that doesn't represent what I want to do in a certain way. One of my favorite paintings of his, I don't remember the name because, you know, I just don't. Um, but it was the, the painting of the the Spanish flu. And the amount of, like, what feels like raw emotion just shoved into that painting is just really, it, may, it might have been the Spanish Civil War. Yes, I, that's, I'm pretty sure that's what you're thinking of. That one's called Guernica. Okay, yes. Um, and then, so that's, like, the, the biggest, like, the most... That's that's the focal point of like his art for me, and then there's other ones surrounding that I just find find really interesting because it feels like there's been so much emotion put behind it, and in a certain sense, it's just really beautiful to me. And just the painting mm-hmm. looks really nice too. So 
that's another one where it's it's depicting suffering but it is also beautiful and it isn't done realistically he did it in his cub- cubist style that was the style that he's most uh, known for mm-hmm. and that arguably was a much better way to show the experience of what it was like to be there during the Spanish Civil War of these sort of distorted shapes and people and objects that are just kind of wandering through this fairly monotone painting. Because one way to look at it is if you're in that situation, you don't see everything as crystal clear as, you know, you might see as a third person viewer. Mm -hmm. So like if we were to see that from, you know, an alien's perspective, alien just as an example or like a third person viewer it might be a crystal clear painting but from his perspective he lived during that time right yes he lived during that time he just saw bits and pieces that distorted his view of that whole entire thing political leaders other people militaries things like that so yeah mm-hmm. that's a that's an assumption that is not a fact <laughs> <laughs> i haven't looked too far into yeah. picasso but i, do I definitely know a just bit. came up with that on the spot but yes yeah, I guess sort of, I got two more questions. This one is kind of related to what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Should a work of art be evaluated based on its final product, or should it be evaluated based upon the artist's intent? So with something like Guernica, we are, we were just talking about it as like what was probably part of the artist's intent mm-hmm. behind it, what he was feeling, what he might be putting into this painting. But is that a good way to view and think about art, or should it just be this is what he created? Let's view it and discuss it, critique it based upon what is there, and eliminate the artist from the equation. I think if an artist knows what they're doing, they are going to put a significant amount of work into um, crafting a piece. And I think if you craft a piece, then there, it's, it's noticeable. The ideas behind it are noticeable if you work on the forefront to craft that piece. So I feel like the intent is probably more important because if he puts all this work in on the front end to, you know, Either, well, if he's just thinking about these sorts of things or anything like that, then I think that gets reflected in the final product. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. This is a question that hasn't had an answer because Mm -hmm. there's also the other side of could you be misrepresenting the artist's intent by just coming up with, oh, they must have meant this because this is present in the work. And that's something that happens with books, poems. Oh, yeah art performances mm-hmm. all these different things where you know once the artist has passed away you can't ask him these things and even if they're alive they might not really be interested in telling you that much about it yeah hmm. and so it's this debate of is it worthwhile to keep their intent as a part of it because unless you're asking them yourself you can't know and you might be misrepresenting what they we're putting out there. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, does misrepresenting what they put out there 
really matter because in the end it's more about if you enjoy it and if it means anything to you um in in my opinion like if i if i go to the museum i'm not or yeah the art museum i'm not there to think about what they meant i'm, I'm there to be like well it's part of it yes i'm there to think about what they meant mm -hmm. but sometimes i just reflect on what that means to me yeah and what you know the beauty of the art or either either the beauty of the art means to me or just like what I think the intent of the mm -hmm. author, not author, artist. <laughs> That's definitely another argument for it as well, that once something creative has been put forth on the world, it takes on a life of its own. And mm -hmm. sure, there may be original intent that the creator had for making it, but the work is also going to take on its own meaning in the context of how it is viewed and interacted with in society. Yeah, that's for sure. There is art out there that has new meaning in today's modern day than it did 200 years ago when it was first created, things like that. Because, yeah. because people do have very different experiences in those times and you're able to put your own experiences onto a work of art and think about it in your own unique way. Yeah. And I think that's what good art artwork does it makes you think about your current situation along with their current or their situation as well but it makes yeah you kind of take the lessons that you've learned in that art and apply them to your life mm -hmm. if you learn any lessons in that art because some art just is nice looking so yeah yeah <laughs> art has so many purposes within the world it's very easy for some people to discount it as like oh like it doesn't have much utility, but you look everywhere around you and <laughs> pretty much everything in your life has been designed by a designer or has been influenced by the great minds of that came before you of like, oh, how should this be designed? What's a beautiful way to do this? Like city planning, depending on how you do that, you can make a beautiful city, you can make a city that's not very yeah, beautiful. No. There's all these different aspects that come together and art is an integral part of all of everyday life yeah yeah is there anything that you particularly have, have taken out of this that you wouldn't have thought about before well i i don't really think i've thought much about you know art in general so it's it's good to solidify you know my thoughts on on the matter i think that um people shouldn't necessarily judge art objectively um you know people can do whatever they want but i think that judging it subjectively what it means to a certain person or what it means to yourself is a lot more effective than judging it objectively um so i think yeah that's the main thing i took away yeah that's great and if you guys took anything out of this episode as well we would love to hear about it uh most likely, if you're listening to this, you know us already, so feel free to, to text us or give us a call or message us in some way. But yeah, we would love to hear from you and know your thoughts. Otherwise, sure. thanks for listening all the way through. This has been episode two of the Wet Cement Podcast. Peace. And don't forget to open your mailbox and look for spiders. Have a good day.